Hey group chat, I know y'all see my text. There's tea to be spilled. Each week we're bringing you our unfiltered take on culture, news, dating, and our lives as black millennial women. We're coming to y'all with the honesty and eye rolls that only a text chain with your girls can. This is Black Girls Texting with Chelsea, Glenn, and Shade. Girls texting. We are Chelsea Pinky and Glenn Bedside Barrett. We're here. We're excited. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're ready to leave things on red or reply. On red or reply. Yes, we are, old child. I just remembered the thing that I wanted to leave on red and I just got overwhelmed. Um, what? Let's just hop in, child. This whole Jordan Neely situation. Oh. I know. Yeah. Yeah. For those who don't know, can you explain? Yes. So Jordan Neely was a Michael Jackson impersonator. This ha- this was an incident that happened in New York this week. I believe it was at, around the Broadway Lafayette station on the F train. Um, he had been performing on the train for, for several years and in the in recent years had just come across, come upon really hard times. Um suffering from homelessness, mental illness. And at this particular day, it was actually on Monday, the day of the Met Gala, which I find there's some irony in, Um, right? Like while we were all looking at fancy rich people flooding New York City and like, you know, for the purposes of funneling tons of money to the Metropolitan Museum, there's a houseless uh, black man suffering from mental illness on the F train and he gets on the train and is telling people how he has no money. He has no food. He's like at his wits end. He's ready to die. He's ready to be arrested. He doesn't care. Like he's he's fed up. He throws his jacket down on the ground. And somehow that is perceived as a threat to this white former Marine who's on the train who then goes and puts him in a headlock to perhaps restrain him. I don't know. But the headlock lasted for 15 minutes and the man died he murdered him right there on the train 15 minutes 15 minutes that's what i read 15 minutes 15 minutes oh that's 15 minutes um and people assisted in this um and it just it highlights so many things for me like i mentioned like the irony of that happening on the day that people are thinking about all this extreme wealth in new york city and people talk about how like the train is this great equalizer that, you know, everybody in New York has to get on the train. But really, it highlights like the extreme disparities in our city and that there's so many people who are suffering so much that are living on the train. And mm. then these other folks, myself included, that get on the train and kind of, you know, we've always been taught to ignore people when they're going through it on the train. Right. Just mind your business. But this man was in distress and then add that to add to the level to the not only were people this man did not ignore him and mind his own business he definitely did not try to help or show any compassion instead he considered this man a threat and killed him and there's been all this talk recently about like how unsafe the city is so i think a lot of people are also like so on edge and we're just living in like fear of each other instead of um thinking about how we can take care of one another and it's further complicated, though, by the fact that there have been incidents in, in New York City on the subways where, like, random, like, you know, an everyday pedestrian just commuting to and from work. Or there was an incident where a man was, I think, was going to brunch with his friends and was just shot 
out of nowhere, point yeah. blank, by someone who also was having like a mental health crisis. Um, so it's like super complicated, right? Because we don't want to, the answer is not to um, to kill somebody that's going through something on the train, right? But then people feel genuinely afraid. And our city right. hasn't come up with a, a plan that makes sense to actually provide adequate care to people in our city that are suffering. And I mean, the more and more, like, when I'm on the train, when I'm up around like 34th Street, Times Square, like, it's intense. Mm -hmm. Like, the city is really, like, there are a lot of people in crisis, a lot of people in crisis, a lot. Yeah, it's... I'm glad you like laid it out that way yeah. um, about how complicated it is because I was starting to have feelings when you were telling the story of I've definitely been on the train and been scared. Like yeah. somebody's screaming, they're saying things and I'm like, I don't feel safe. I don't know if this person is just, you know, internally dealing with something or if this person is going to start punching people in the face because yeah. that has happened in New York totally. City on the train. So I'm glad you laid out the complications. A post that I saw that I um, really, that it resonated with me um, was someone wrote, Jordan's murder is the latest example of what happens when cities increase rent, strip its citizens of basic services to survive and punish the poor, label them as, labeling them as crazy, criminals deserving to die. Nobody on the train stepped in only to record and watch a black man die again on camera. The last yep. sentence, I'm, I wouldn't step in if I'm being totally honest. I'm not stepping in because I'm protecting myself. Yeah. Um, and can I add to that? To I think die. we speak as the term from the perspective of women, especially. True. There's like a different kind of fear that, that I walk with in the city that we all walk with in the city too. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I, I agree. I wish I could say I would have stepped in. Well, I think, I hope in the moment, like when you're watching somebody, like they were killing this man, like. Right. When you said 15 you know, minutes, that was right. the, okay, get off yes. of him. Exactly. Correct. That's a long time. Yes. And I saw that it wasn't just, and then of course there's the aspect of race, you know, white man, black man. But I also saw that there was like a Latino man that yep. was also. Like helping. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's just really sad and it's really tragic. I definitely think whether or not I understand those people's intentions, they need to be handled because they Absolutely. killed someone. Um, yeah, it's really sad. Oh, yeah, it's fucked up. It's fucked up. It's um, bad. Yeah, I'm like, what do so I have sad. to offer some levity here? Right. Um, <laughs> what can I reply I to? Enjoy. I don't know. Um, uh, well, you know what? I'll say it again. I talked about it on the Patreon. So if you're a patron, you, you can listen to this, but, um, we had a super fun night out in the city this week for the Met Gala, which again, I just found a lot of irony in that all these things were happening on the same day. Also really quickly, speaking of all this irony with the train and wealth and New York, seeing Carisha and Diddy on the train, like posing, like they thought it was like a cute little, mm -hmm. like, like, like to be ironic, like ironically taking the train when like they don't have to take the train like everybody else does and can like do photo ops on the train and get off. Like the week that a man died, was killed on the train. I don't know. Something about that was just all crazy to me. Oh. Um, yeah. But I did Literally. go out in celebration of the Met Gala and went to um, Janelle Monae's 
after party and had a ball. The celebrity sightings were crazy. Probably the one that shook me the most was seeing Billie Eilish. She is so gorgeous. Her eyes are insanely blue. Ah, And she was just chilling. We were standing next to each other on the line for the bathroom. Oh, my God. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Coveting blue eyes. They're like ice blue. And her hair is so dark. It was just crazy. Um, Yeah, I had a ball. And it was also super sick to be in a room like that with all these incredibly, like, famous people. But just watching the way they engage with each other, you know, just like they're just in community with each other. They all just happen to be, like, brilliant and talented. But I still, I feel like that when I'm in the room with, like, our peers. And I just was looking at them like, you know, we're, we're next. We're next. We are next. We just need more, we just need more bread. That's it. A little more bread coming our way. Um, I love that. Yeah, I definitely, when we were talking about this offline, I hit up Flo and I was like, I'm definitely going to plan to be in New York next Met Gala because apparently people are are on lists and shit. I'm going to be there. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. Um, Correct. But that's nice. I'm glad you guys had fun. It did look fun. Um, What I am, I'm not sure if I'm leaving it on red or replying. So Pusha T's wife, girlfriend, I think wife, uh, Virginia Williams. Uh, It's kind of been blowing up on black Twitter, but she was asked, you know how you can ask questions or you can be like, ask me anything on Instagram. People just ask Mm -hmm. questions. So someone asked her, was it hard dating a celebrity in the beginning? How do you handle it now? So I want you to go ahead and Google Pusha T's wife, Virginia Williams. So you can just, you know, get a physical image. Her response was, if I'm being honest, initially, the only thing hard about it was being the was being okay with being the oddball in the room, not looking like a quote unquote rapper's girlfriend or wife. I used to feel awkward amongst the women who had the fake ass, the fake asses, bodycon dresses and cake face. But for a while now, I've thought I'm way cooler. Hair flip emoji. Okay. What do you think about that? I find it, you know, it's so interesting. I've seen her before and I've always, I've thought to myself like, wow, she's like such a regular looking girl, like very pretty, but like a, like a, she looks like, like the girl next door, I guess is the the phrase. She looks like the girl next door. Now I, I always get there. There is like this thing where like the natural girls are like shading the girls that have work done. And I feel like that Mm -hmm. is where we just don't, like, cause I don't hear, I don't actually hear the the girls that have work done say anything to the girls that don't have nothing done. Well, I've never really, do. I don't know that I, they do. Ha, do they, do they? Maybe like you guys look regular. Yeah. Like you look mm. regular. You could do this. You could do that. Put some weave, put some lipstick. And here's the but, thing. No, I but from the other side though, the, the, from the other side though, the natural girls will be like, you're trashy. Da, 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 da. Like, you know, anyway, go ahead. Yeah. You think she's beautiful. For and- sure. I think she's beautiful and I do think it probably takes a lot of courage to when you have the money to to not fall into that especially if that's not truly what you want like I think there are some people who are doing it because they think they have to and they have to like Mm -hmm. put up some sort of image and she hasn't fallen victim to that of course there are people who get BBLs because they just fucking feel like it I know but I just thought it was shady I thought her response could have been, um, 
speaking to how she, you know, she kind of felt like the oddball, but like now she's grown into herself and she doesn't really feel that way anymore. And she's confident in who she is. And that could have been it. And leave it at that. Without talking about yeah. fake ass, fake asses and cake face. Um, That's super interesting. Yeah. And then there's like assumptions that people make about these women that do present themselves like that. Right. Like, oh, she's just a groupie. Like, um, but then you're right. Some people do just they come up on some bread and then they just get they get all the work done. Yeah. And, and some people doesn't mean. They, yeah. They've always their whole life. They've exactly. felt insecure about their butt. And so now I have money and there's a technology to make me have a butt. So I'm going to get it. I'm going to get What's some butt. With? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get some uh, butt. That was the AO moment. AO. <laughs> <laughs> Pause. Just kidding. Um, and so that was a red slash reply. And I have another red slash reply. Another um, social media moment. Uh, it's been going pretty viral. Ebony K. Williams sat down with Iyanla and Iyanla basically asked, would you date a bus driver? And Ebony said, well, only if he owned the bus. Like, I'm not just dating a bus driver. Then in the week following, she was co-hosting The Breakfast Club with some of our babes, the girls mm -hmm. from Horrible Decisions, Mandy and Wheezy. Um, and on the episode, it kind of went even further because she was saying that she thinks this like culture of quote unquote mediocrity and averageness is white supremacy at work. And um, mm. it just started this whole debate about, mm. you know, is a bus driver mediocre? Is a bus driver quote unquote average, et cetera, et cetera. And so I'll share my thoughts. Um, I definitely think we should be striving for, you know, the most, you know, to, to have the most resources and to, you know, kind of change our social standing. But I do think the miss is there are so many people that are working these quote unquote average jobs that are brilliant and just didn't have the resources. And I feel like the comment kind of shits on the fact that we know to be true, which is black communities overwhelmingly are under-resourced. So like, it's going to be difficult for every black child to go to Harvard, you know? I don't know if mm -hmm. I'm stating that clearly, but I'm still grappling with it. How do you feel? Yeah, I think and DJ Envy, you know, he went back and forth with her about it. And he was like, these blue collar people that you're calling mediocre are the people who, who support me. Like, he's like, these are the people, the bus drivers listening to me right now, listening right. to the breakfast club right now as they're like on their way to work or whatever. Um, and I think our society operates because there's people who do every job and, and there are many bus drivers that take pride in what they do. And that is not, um, like, I'm just going to keep using the same analogy. That's nothing to turn your nose up at or down at like bus drivers are like integral. They're helping right. everybody get around the city and go where they have to go. Essential. You don't have to own the bus driver. Yeah, that's an essential worker, period. Right. During the pandemic, you saw who was essential and who was not. And these people sitting around with their little uh, cushy-ass tech jobs doing nothing but taking calls and pretending to do work <laughs> um, and getting paid mad money, right? I'm like, okay, look at a couple people I know, sometimes on a, on a given day, myself included making bread sitting in my house and there's people actually there's a, a garbage man 
doing the job nobody else wants to do, but it needs to get done. Like we don't need to be shitting on people like that. And there's nothing mediocre about it. And I actually think when she's saying white tools of white supremacy or whatever to like keep us down, I sometimes think this like that it's a white supremacist mindset to think that you have to just be in these like C-suite high ass jobs making bread. Mm-hmm. Like that something like what are we aspiring to? Like, you know, we're aspiring to, to just I don't know. Like I think the thing that people should be aspiring to is like the most fulfilling life for themselves and the most joy that they have. And they should be able to feed their families and um, you know, have the care that they need. And I think the thing that Black people want or should have is just the the opportunity and the ability to choose. And, like, mm-hmm. that's it, you know? And just have a fair playing field. And, like, some people might not want to own the bus company. Maybe somebody wants to be a bus driver. And there's nothing wrong with that, I don't think. But maybe we'll invite Ebony on and we can talk more about it. I, I, I think we might have to. We might have to. <laughs> is your uh, hotline, hotline bling? Or... Um... I mean, oh, well, mine is kind of yours is. Oh, let's go. Yeah, my hotline blinging is my hotline is blinging my other group chat because they're all getting together today. And literally, they put um, in the chat, um, see you guys tonight at seven. Can't wait. And I put a sad face and they put, we will miss you. (laughs) And it's, it's, I mean, it's happened before, but it's just, you know, you have those moments of, damn. Mm-hmm. So I know. today that did happen. I know. I was thinking about you this week because so much has been happening. There's just been like events like, and things. I'm like, yeah. damn, my girl is really in LA. Not at these things. Yeah. And I'm, you know, like, not yeah. complaining, but, um, you know. A little, we're just far from each other. Um, but or yeah, just, I'm excited it feels, for this yeah, I was gonna say, I've, it, I noticed the distance. It's like, wow, she's really like all the way over there. Um, but I'll be back in June. Um, yeah, excited for the black girl doing shit. My good sis, that's a black girl doing shit. We are so excited for this week's black girl doing shit. We have Alamade Aloe. Uh, she is the CEO of Topicals. I know you guys are familiar with the brand already. We are huge fans here at Black Girls Texting. Um, Olamide is a recent graduate of the University of California, Los Angeles, where she was a pre-med student and received a BA in political science with a concentration in race, ethnicity, and politics, and a minor in entrepreneurship. In 2015, Olamide co-founded the beauty brand Shea Girl in partnership with Shea Moisture, Sundial Brands, parent company of Shea Moisture, was later acquired by Unilever in 2017. Currently, Olamide is the founder and CEO of Topicals, as I mentioned, one of our faves. It's a skincare company transforming the way people feel about skin through effective products for eczema and hyperpigmentation. Olamide is passionate about harnessing the power and culture the power of culture, technology, and science to improve the relationship between women of color and the beauty industry. She has received notable recognition from Harvard Business School, Google, um, and many, many more, including UCLA, where she graduated from. And now she is this week's Black Girl Doing Shit with Black Girls Texting. So we're so happy to have you. 
Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And now a word from our sponsors. With some of the best and most capable vehicles in the world, Ford knows strong means more than just physical. Ford is sharing the inspiring stories of those behind the wheel who are accomplishing their goals, pursuing their dreams, and creating the world they want to live in. Built Ford Proud highlights Dee Bryant, a Ford driver who has shown strength in how she is breaking boundaries to create change in her field for those all around her. Dee Bryant is a professional stunt driver featured in over 100 films, movies, and shows. She began riding motorcycles at age 11. Dee has done stunts in many commercials, but she always finds herself gravitating towards Ford vehicles as her personal ride went off screen. In fact, much of her stunt driving training took place in a Ford Mustang. Dee is one of a few females and even fewer African-American female stunt drivers in the entire industry. She constantly battles against sexism, racism, and unfair representation as many productions try to get around hiring female drivers. As part of her fight for equality, she co-founded the Association of Women Drivers, a stunt driving school where she helps teach other women to stunt drive. She is just one of the many examples that show us that Ford drivers span all walks of life, each with an individual story that shows how they're built Ford proud. Learn more about Dee Bryant's story at ford.com forward slash built Ford proud. Breaking the mold, strengthening communities, creating change. Real stories brought to you by Ford, built Ford proud. Hey, group chat. I'm not even going to lie to y'all. Growing up, I was never a tampon kind of girl. I know I'm not alone here. Before I ever even used them, I was scared. I just assumed that they would be uncomfortable. And as a woman with a heavy flow, I wasn't sure how secure they would be. But as I've gotten older, I've come to realize that there's nothing to fear. It took me a couple tries to get it right. But now that I know how to properly insert a Tampax, I don't even feel it. Using Tampax during my cycle has given me so much flexibility and gives me more freedom so I can do and wear what I want on my period. Because, you know, I'm a woman on the go. I'm on long flights, beach trips, busy work days, bopping around the city. When my period comes, I don't want to have to modify and limit what I can do. I want to keep living my unapologetic, multi-hyphenated lifestyle. And I never have to worry about leaks because just like a pad, Tampax can absorb even your heaviest flow and give you an up to 100% leak-free experience you can't see or feel. So for everyone with periods who's never used a Tampax, I encourage you to incorporate it into your menstrual routine. It's comfortable and flexible protection from start to finish. All right, y'all. It's time I for the group chat. Just jump before we like get super casual. I do want to learn more about topicals and kind of the inception of you starting a brand um, that has resonated with so many, specifically Black women. I know everyone can use the brand, um, but specifically Black women and our skin concerns. Um, why'd you start it? And tell us more about it. Yeah. So partially when I get that question or when I think about it really deeply, it's honestly so amazing to me that people who don't know me support me and support the brand. I think when you are, I've seen this quote now like a couple of times on social, but like 
shout out to people who like pull an idea like out of basically like thin air and like bring it to life because it's like a spiritual thing because mm. it's amazing to be able to create something and not know exactly the needs of other people but for them to connect so deeply with it because um i just feel like creativity is a universal language and so i'm really honored that black women specifically feel like they have a place a home at topicals um and that women mm. also have other um ethnicities do as well but black women have really been left out of skincare specifically and so it's exciting that a brand like topicals can offer products that work for our skin tones um, topicals is a skincare brand transforming the way people feel about skin we do that through effective science-backed products for chronic skin conditions and mental health advocacy people with chronic skin conditions are two to six times more likely to experience depression and anxiety i'm really excited we've donated over hundred and twelve thousand dollars to different mental health organizations since we launched the brand and I think the reason why we chose mental health as like our social give back uh, is because of my own personal experience with, you know, when you have a pimple, when you have a skin condition, when you have eczema, like my little sister did, you know, you end up having to cancel like outings. Like my sister didn't go to prom because she had a really bad flare up the night of, of prom. Aww. You know, I remember not wearing a swimsuit for the longest time because I had ingrown hairs and I just didn't want people mm -hmm. to think I was dirty. And so mm. there's a lot of like mental health issues that come along with how we like show up in the world. And so for me, I really just wanted to make a brand that felt like holistic, not just yeah. about, you know, helping you have less flare ups, but also like thinking about how your mind is also impacted by your skin condition. Wow. That's wow. amazing synergy. I've never, it's interesting. If I feel, it feels like people would make that connection on the back end, but it's really interesting that like that was within the inception of your brand and even uh, giving back was already a part of like, the core of your business. Yeah. I mean, that's super relatable yeah. too. When you think about just how skin issues can just hinder the way you live life. Like I had tons of like scarring from mosquito bites on my legs forever. So I would never want to wear shorts in the summertime or bathing suits or stuff, or I would want to tan like insanely to even out my complexion. Um, and over the years and over lots of times of fading creams and like getting my legs to a place where I feel comfortable being able to go outside now in the summer and feel free. It's a completely different experience than I ever had like growing up, you know? So that's super relatable. Yeah. Oh my God, I never knew that. Yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting because like you were saying, people don't tell these stories, right? Like on Instagram, um, again, I love a good filter too. I love a good like like, I think that's the thing about topicals too, is like people think that I should be the spokeswoman now for like, oh, don't wear makeup, don't use filters, don't whatever. Like topicals has always been about choice mm -hmm. and really about sharing your story because I think so many people don't know that about you, right? And so we want people to feel comfortable with being able to tell their stories. But at the end of the day, we want to give you information to make the best decision for yourself. That can be the decision to want to cover all of your acne and cover your scars, or it can be the decision to go without any makeup. Like it's really about choice. And I think so many skincare brands either lean into, you have to love yourself regardless, no matter what, mm -hmm. or you like should cover up and like, let's make your skin perfect. Some days no makeup, some days all makeup, you know, today for me as an in-between day, I'm only wearing concealer, but I just think women are pressured so much to look a specific way or behave a specific way. And you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. So mm. I love that Topicals is really just about whatever it is that you want to do that day. That's up to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I see it in like you all's marketing. Like I feel like the ads have different types of skin. So I guess a question I have for you is to you, what 
good skin is or what healthy skin is. Yeah. Skin can't be like moral. So it technically can't be good or bad. That's like mm-hmm. one kind of um, conversation we've had a lot with our community. We actually did a campaign in 2021 in January and it was called what is good skin mm-hmm. and kind of the content of that campaign was just this idea that skin literally cannot be good or bad because it's not moral, but that good skin can look like any kind of skin because good skin is healthy skin, skin that is doing the job it's your large, largest organ so it's like whatever job that your skin is doing that is good skin that is like mm-hmm. we can give that skin a star right a gold star and so for us it's just reminding yourself that the destination to clear skin is not as important as the journey um so that's really to us what good skin is i wanted to go back to something that you had mentioned earlier about like having ingrowns and thinking about like healthy skin and good skin and this associated association with like dirtiness, with hyperpigmentation. Um, I just, I don't know. I wonder yeah. if, do you have those kind of conversations in the rooms that you were in when you were developing your product and how we kind of combat yes. that, or reframe our thinking around that? Yeah, there were so many conversations we had because a lot of this is very like um, political. Um, mm-hmm. Shout out to my like degree in poli sci because so much of, what we believe we're socialized to believe so like you mentioned this idea of dark spots which is actually just your skin protecting you right producing extra melanin because there's some sort of injury that needs to be healed in the skin for us to then because we don't understand the science equate that to dirtiness is like wild and then mm-hmm. taking it further the lens people will go to get rid of that right so like bleaching creams i'm nigerian and so bleaching creams are a huge part of like the culture in nigeria and so like i've seen videos of people literally like almost like just not shaving their skin off, but like almost peeling their skin off with like different ingredients because they want to be lighter. And we obviously know that like colorism and like lighter skin tends to get better treatment, um, gets married easier, is chosen by men, um, gets the job. And so it's just a very deep place. But with topicals, while we did have those conversations, while we were creating the products to make sure we didn't have, you know, those kinds of ingredients and those kinds of effects, really the question we asked ourselves when we were building the brand was what if skin was fun instead of being so deep? Because I think that's mm-hmm. the other thing too, is like, black women already carry a lot. It's not that serious. My friend Nandi from Essence always says that like, it's it was never that serious. And like, mm-hmm. while it is, it's like, there has to be some sort of joy in the room mm-hmm. with us as we're doing other things, especially like skincare and beauty. So while we balance the like societal effects of things, we also want to have joyful conversations as well. Yeah, I, I mean, we see that totally in your branding and the colors and it's, you know, very Gen Z, as I've heard people say about the brand. Yeah, but it's fun. Yeah. It's funky. It's fresh. Yeah. Thank you. It's so interesting when people call us Gen Z because like, I am technically Gen Z. I'm on the older cusp, but like I'm Gen Z. And um, I know, right? It's it's so Girl. interesting. <laughs> it's interesting because it's like, am I really... Um, I actually think Gen Z is a psychographic, though. I don't think necessarily like it's a demographic or an age. Um, Mm. I think Gen Z is people who are going against the status quo, creating their own luck, creating their own fortune. They're people who want to stand up for others. They want to create good things in the world Um, because that's what Gen Z is. Right. And you don't have to be under 26 and under to be able to be considered Gen Z in my mind. Um, I think about I don't know if you guys y'all have seen the the, um, I think it's called the retirement house. And it's like those older Mm-mm. people who like are on TikTok and they like do all the TikTok trends. Oh I'm yeah. Like, like Wait. They're, Gen, they're Gen Z in my head because is your grandmother learning 
all the rap songs and singing them? No, she's not. And right. so it's so interesting, again, like they know how to use TikTok better than some Gen Zers. Um, and it's, again, it's just this idea that Gen Z can be a psychographic, so a, a th way of thinking versus mm -hmm. just a specific age range. I like that. So look at that, Chelsea. You can be Gen Z. Chelsea is Gen Z because Chelsea, you're, you're the same age as me, I think. So yeah, same. So same age. <laughs> no, I'm 30, girl. Um, <laughs> look at her claiming it. <laughs> um, but it's just like so beautiful, and I and I wonder because you mentioned you have a little sister. I do, I do, and she works at Topicals too. She does like education. Oh, Topicals. I love that. Yeah, because I do wonder, dope. you know, not saying that we're super old or anything, we're not, but I do think we we kind of grew up a little differently than the kids growing up now who are inundated with all these images of filtered faces and mm -hmm. you know photoshopped pictures of this like idea of perfection do you ever have those conversations with your younger sister and other young people in your life and even your friends because you're a, a bit younger than us um about how those images affects your self-esteem and like mm -hmm. self-image yeah i mean we do have those conversations because you always want to get people to like snap back into reality of like, okay, it could be filtered. And again, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with filtered images per se. I think mm -hmm. that like, it's okay to put whatever version of yourself out there. I think it's just, everyone needs to realize, okay, this is not normal, right? Like skin has texture, skin has like pores, skin has all these other things. And so I think that just having the conversation with people to almost give them like a gut check about the world is a lot more helpful than saying like, oh, let's ban filters, let's X, Y, and Z. It's like, no, let's just have a conversation about the fact that like this might not be real. Yeah. It's also mm. funny because I just like a thought popped into my head when you said skin has pores. I struggle is probably the wrong word, but I have pores, like bigger pores. Um, and my dermatologist was like, you know, it's like a shoe size. Some people just have larger pores than others. Like there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. I have something and I'm coming back. Have a product coming. I'm gonna send it to you before it launches. Oh yes! Ooh. But it was so funny because one day I like put my makeup on and I was kind of annoyed that like I could kind of see my pores and my fiance and I was like asking my fiance how my skin looks and he was like, "Oh, it looks so good. Like I can see the little." <laughs> and he was pointing at the pores, <laughs> but like, he was head, saying that that looks good. His he said it looks good because like you know he doesn't understand that you know ideally you don't want to see any pores you want it to yeah. be but in his head he was like oh it looks great like i see all your <laughs> i'm like it's just so funny how like the whatever standard is kind of like taught yes. to us you know it's the like, what the fuck is wrong with pores yes it's a socialization right. of because i you know you ask guys are always the best people to ask to because they just don't know anything so you like yeah. ask them like no it looks amazing you're like my wig is all the way back here. How does it look amazing? And they're like, oh, it looks great. So I'm obsessed. Okay, so you are a CEO. You are Gen Z. Um, how are you balancing business and just like personal life and like growing into yourself as a younger woman and mm. like all of the things that come with that? Yeah. So again, I, I mentioned like earlier this year, my mental health wasn't all the best. So like, I'm going to say that I don't always balance it well. There are like periods of my life where work is demanding a lot more of me. There is times where it's less, where I can like go on vacation. So I don't necessarily think that balance exists as a CEO, unfortunately, just because like they're, like, everything is on you, right? If something mm -hmm. bad happens, it's on you. If something good happens, luckily it's on you as well. Um, I just like have learned how to like carve out 
things in my life. Like as a CEO, what I came to understand is that I can't be just like thrown every single time something happens. Like I have to be able to create a bubble of peace for myself. I have to carve out like self-care for myself. And before I just didn't, I just thought, oh, eventually something will change in my life Mm. and then like things will get better. And so I've had to learn how to practice really. And my therapist says that all the time, like self-care is a practice. Love Mm -hmm. is a practice. And so it's just a practice of figuring out how to create a routine that works for you. So for me, I don't take calls Mondays and Fridays. I actually don't usually work on Fridays. So like super excited to be doing this podcast with y'all. But like for me, usually it's like, Fridays are a no-go because I need days to like not talk because mm-hmm. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, it's morning, it's meetings from when I wake up to like later in the day. Then I usually have like dinner meetings with people or got to like talk to, you know, it's just a lot of talking and I'm such an extrovert or at least I felt like I was before the pandemic and before I started topicals, but I spent so much time in isolation the two years before building topicals and then in COVID um, that I get tired really easily when it's I'm exhausting like yeah. yes and like being animated and while I love it it's like it does drain me more and so carving that out I don't work on the weekends if I can help it if there's like something really exciting or I'm, I'm really bored and I have like absolutely nothing to do and I'm rested then I'll do a bit of work for like some side projects but try my best not to do any work on the weekends I try to um go on a vacation at least once a quarter nice even mm-hmm. if it's like a weekend trip try to do something once a quarter and then yeah just Solid core has been really great, making sure I'm working out, drinking water. It's all these basic things, but it's just like these little things are you taking care of yourself. And for so long, even in the smallest things, I didn't take care of myself. And so just like carving it out, like you deserve the time away and the time for like self-care. Yeah. And I love what you said about self-care being a practice. Like I am in this space in my life where I just feel like I'm just just like very slowly, but very slowly becoming better. Like just generally, like everything is just becoming better, but it's it's happening slowly. But everything, you're like practicing how to respond. You're practicing how to handle conflict. You're practicing how to, you know, stand up for yourself at work. Like you're like all these, like really, I feel like life is kind of like big old practice it is we're so focused on perfection Mm -hmm. again this is what topicals has taught me through the process of like skin skin is just like almost a small piece of what we do but we always say this phrase that like skin just like like just like life is like fluid and messy Mm -hmm. and it's just like you can take what we're saying about topicals and take it to your larger life it's just this idea of like we always feel like everything is um like the big stage like every day we're like you know trying for this perfection when in reality every day is just about getting back up and doing it again like trying again if you fell if you fell down getting back again if it didn't work out trying again and that's like in love that's in like your professional career that's even with yourself it's like every day is just another day to start again and try Mm -hmm. again yeah Yeah. seriously and I bet it was the same in terms of like the formulas, like how many formulas did it Girl. take for you, us to get to the topicals that we buy at Sephora? <laughs> so if you're hip, you know that the first version of Faded smelled so bad. I mean, even now people still say it smells really bad. I will say- The first version, had a, it had a distinct smell. It, did. it, it distinct. smelled bad. And it wasn't supposed to, that's the thing about business that's so funny. It was not supposed to smell bad. We had done rounds and rounds and rounds of like testing, of like just- the formulation and um when we scaled up to a larger batch 
It mm. like it wasn't enough of what we used to. It's called a deodorizer to like cover the scent of the raw materials, and it came out and it was filled into the tubes and there was nothing we could do. So it was either cancel the launch, or launch the sticky product. And <laughs> I'm glad that we ended up doing. I remember almost like being on the brink of tears, like wanting to cry. But mm. I'm glad we did because it's funny that now we're so synonymous with having a stinky product and people are like, oh, it smells. That's how I know it's working. Right. right. So like, oh my God. That is so funny. That I thought was going to like ruin the company and just be terrible ended up being one of our best marketing hacks. So. Oh, that's genius. Right on. Okay. So you are a black founder, which obviously we see that. Um, but earlier, maybe it was last year. It was probably last year, and this wasn't a planned question, but it just popped up into my head. Um, Miel was purchased. Um, and then before that, what was the brand? And it's like feminine products. Honeypot. Honeypot. Um, there was drama with that because she changed uh, some of the products or some of the ingredients in her products, and people were really mad. And then I remember the founder of Amicole, Giada, was talking on her Instagram about how much pressure there is as a black founder and how it seems like you almost get judged even harder. Are Do you ever feel that way? Or do you have an opinion on any of those things? Cause people were mad that Miel sold her company, which I'm like, that's kind mm -hmm. of business. You grow it this and you sell it. A lovely question. This is a lovely, lovely question. So I'm going to plug it with a new brand. I just soft launched yesterday. I have a new brand called <laughs> um, the cost of doing business or CODB. And it's like a media business resource guide. I get so many questions about business and I wanted to kind of put it all in one place and do a lot of analysis of things like this, right? Because I think they're really fascinating. And I was actually reading an article this morning on Elle about um, the Honeypot founder, B, and um, the male organics founder, um, uh, Monique. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just, and I'm really good friends with Jada. She's like one of my like business besties. And I think that it's just really interesting, one, that, our community doesn't understand business like in general, right? And I think what we've seen as success in business is like mom and pop shops that are basically, they continue to be open generation after generation. Still open. That yeah. is success. But we don't really understand how hard it is on those families to actually keep those businesses running when they don't have access to capital, when they don't have access to loans, just all the things that other communities do have access to. And we also don't realize that we could be creating more generational wealth if that business could franchise or it could mm -hmm. scale. But we also have to understand that in order for it to do so, or for example, we get a lot of questions, come to UK, come to Nigeria, come to China. You can't do that without capital. And a lot of times you can't do that without a big backer who already has the logistics set up in those countries, which means you have to be acquired by a company for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And so I think we just have to understand the cost of doing business, which is why I call it the cost of doing business, because there's a trade-off, right? Like, do we want this company to stay 100% black owned or do we want the company to actually be able to sell in, for my case, I'd love to sell in Nigeria, right? Mm -hmm. But very few companies can sell in Nigeria because there are larger conglomerates that really kind of control commerce and trade for beauty in these countries, right? And so it's like, if you want to get in there, you either have to be acquired by one of these companies or have so much cash, which again, where are you getting this cash from? Um, unless it's from an mm -hmm. investor who typically doesn't look like us. So again, it's just, it's a really deeply seated issue. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I hear people say all the time, like, oh, I really wish that there was a black conglomerate. We can't do that if we don't have capital in our communities, which we get capital by exchanging equity, our business, 
creating leverage in that business and then being able to sell it to someone else in exchange for cash. That's how we create these black conglomerates. So we can't mm -hmm. be upset when these black owned brands sell because that's how we are creating generational wealth that will then allow for some of these things that we're saying. We can't start at step 100, even though we're at step one, you know? Right. And I think for a business like Shea Moisture, which is actually where I started my career, I was in mm -hmm. college, um, one of my best friends named Rochelle Dennis, her father owned Shea Moisture. She had watched her dad build brands and was like, let's build a brand for young women. This is before people were calling anything Gen Z. This is tween, you know, <laughs> before people were saying Gen Z. Oh my God. Yeah, this is like- And this is Shea Girl? I remember, Shea, Shea Shea we went, remember when we went yeah. to Essence and the, yeah. Yes. yes. And I, I was wearing Shea Girl merch, had so much Shea Girl stuff, loved. And we were younger at the time. So I, I saw myself um, in it for sure. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. So 2019, um, we decided we were going to do this brand. It was Rochelle, myself, um, her sisters, her cousin, and um, a couple of her best friends. So seven of us, young women, just like different skin conditions that we were really struggling with and wanted to create um, like a body care brand around. And so we launched a couple of different products um, in the two years that we were there. But while I was there, my senior year, Shea Moisture uh, got acquired. The Sundial Brands umbrella of, of brands got acquired. And there was so much backlash about it, about them being a sellout or, you know, there's all these things that go viral on TikTok and Twitter about like, this is really who owns Shea Moisture and it's like the owner of Unilever. But mm -hmm. what people don't understand is that all of your favorite brands, topicals included, can only exist because a Shea Moisture existed for a lot of reasons, but I'll name really two. The first one is that because of Shea Moisture, now they fought for so many brands to be brought into stores. Before Shea Moisture, Black-owned brands were not in Target. They were not in Sephora. Like people did mm -hmm. not believe that there was a big enough customer pool. So like Shea Moisture really paved the way in that way. The second is that the Dennis family that owns Shea Moisture, they have invested in all of your favorite. Like name a brand that is one of your favorites. They've either um, either assisted, like given that person advice or given them access or in, an intro to someone or they've directly put cash in to a business. Topicals exist because Shea Moisture exists. And so can we be upset at the founders of Shea Moisture? Can we be upset at these brands that sell their company when they're sacrificing? And it's not even sacrificial really, but they're selling their businesses to create a thousand Shea Moistures, to create mm -hmm. a thousand IL Organics. You know, so many people are so bogged down by like who owns what, but owning 100% of something that is worth $0 means nothing. Right. And right. we will eventually, hopefully in our community, get to a point where we can like, we can um, invest in our own brands, we can sell our brands to each other, but we're just not there yet. And so not if you're not yet. a part of the solution, you kind of just gotta, you gotta sit with what's going on, um, unless you figure out how to create a 100 to $500 million uh, holding company <laughs> <laughs> so that you can acquire these brands. Cause right. that's just the reality of it. And we have to also realize that everyone else, any race, ethnicity sells their businesses. It's not just black people. Yeah. Like it is not just black folks. Like your goal when you start a company and get investors is to either sell it or IPO it. Those are the only two options you have or else you're just, the business is not going to grow. Yeah. Mm. And I don't think there's any industry that black people own and i think that's probably the you know the um the reason for the i don't know the, the better word for people being upset because it's like oh but you found so much success and then you just let it go but we don't own any industry yet and obviously there's like a historical reason for that exactly. so hopefully in the future we will eventually 
um, after we find success in these companies and sell them and, as you said, make more capital. Um, I think another question that people had, especially with the Miel um, acquisition was, is the formula going to change? People always get really concerned about, is it going to sell and then now not work for my hair? You know? Well, I think a couple of things. One, as a business owner, why would you change a formula that got you to these millions of dollars of revenue? Like Mm -hmm. that doesn't make sense. But on the other hand, I can understand why people believe that because, you know, when these businesses get acquired, sometimes it's more about cost cutting measures than anything else where they're like, oh, well, like, you know, let's switch out this ingredient with this one because it's cheaper. But I think that now acquirers have also learned that like, those businesses die when they do things like that, right? right? So they actually have to let these businesses operate in by themselves. So to me, the Mayel acquisition was really more of a partnership. And that's even how they've talked about it, where it's like now they have more capital, they have R&D to make better, better make products, and they can get into any market, any black market. So the Caribbean, Africa, like they can mm-hmm. go anywhere with the product now because of the logistics. And so it's almost a little bit, um, it like someone calls it like parasocial relationships where people like, believe that they know the brand and they because yeah. they've supported the brand that they should have a say in the brand but in reality like you don't really know the founders you don't really like know the products um and also it's a bit selfish to say like oh well, I want the product to stay this specific way for me because there are people in other countries who would love to have an access to my organics but they can't because before this mile didn't have the capital or resources to get to their countries so we also yeah. got to start thinking more global more business yeah. again this is the whole my goal yeah. cost of business is like how do we get culture to understand commerce so mm. that we understand the real cost of doing business i love that no i think that's going to be so useful i'm going to be checking out everything that you guys put out because um we are very interested in these subjects um mm-hmm. what's your opinion on all of the celebrity beauty brands, because I feel like every celebrity now has a brand and it's almost, in my opinion, I'll tell you my opinion first. Please. <laughs> it's like not fair because you get to sign off on it and use your celebrity and it's a success just because you're a celeb. Built-in fans, built-in buyers. Yeah. I think there's, it's like twofold, right? And I, I actually do think celebrity brands are really like interesting and I think some people get them so, so right. Um, And in that case, yeah, it is a bit unfair, although they've worked for their fandom. So like, is it really unfair? Like it is for like small mom and pop or small brands, indie brands that just have, you know, regular people running the brand. But like, if you can get it right with like who people believe you are and you can launch a brand, you will be successful. Fenty Beauty case in point. Right. But then we have other brands that launch and it's like, we've never cared about your hair, girl. Why do you (laughs) care about your hair? We've never asked about your makeup routine or your skincare routine. Right. Or whatever else they're, you know, selling to us. Right. And I think those to me are such misses because there probably is something that you're known for that you could have leaned into. Um, Mm -hmm. So I also want to see people do more tech stuff, especially black women, like black women, celebrities, black women in general, like even if as a regular person, like we need to lean not only into beauty, although that is a really big category for us, but we need to start leaning into other spaces because black folks over index on media, technology, like we see black Twitter, we see how TikTok is being held up by Black creators, how Instagram is being held up by Black creators. Clubhouse. Not many, but everyone on there is Black. (laughs) Which is another one, like Kai Sinat's whole situation right now where like they promised to give him all this money and they won't give it to him because 
I don't know whatever the reason is, but like he's the most um, followed streamer on Twitch. I think it's Twitch. Wow. Mm. So it's just, it's, we have to also lean into these other industries because we are upholding all of these industries, like both with our dollars and with our time and attention. What are your, what in thinking about running your own business, kind of what's your approach to leadership? Um, this and is what if your leadership style and developing that, what has that been like? That's been such an interesting question. I think as a young leader, I think that I have been in situations where people definitely challenge me, right? Mm -hmm. Where maybe there people don't believe that I can lead because of my age. Um, I think I've gotten it wrong sometimes. And like, I'm, I'm one of those people who's never too big to say that like I've gotten it wrong or I could have handled situations better or I could have just like, I didn't know, I didn't have all the full information to like, make the best educated decision but i think i've tried is what the number one thing i will say is like i've always tried and i've always tried to move with empathy about mm -hmm. situations um but i think the the biggest thing that i've learned is and i tried to live by is like death to your ego like you just have to realize that you don't know everything and that as a leader like you should be trying to be in service to your team because giving them the resources and the support they need is really going to help them get to where they need to go. I, I don't always have all the resources. So unfortunately, Topicals isn't always the best place for everyone to work because like there are like you do need certain qualities and certain things to be able to be successful just because we're a small business. So it's like I can't offer like the highest salaries in the world. Right. I can't offer like all the resources that maybe like a Facebook offers. Mm -hmm. But what we can offer, we do try to offer those things. And I think always just having a um, spirit of like empathy and a spirit of just like open conversation. Um, I'm so proud of the team that we have. I'm proud of like every person who's worked in touch topicals, like regardless if they're there or not, because at one point they were influential enough to make an impact on the brand. And so I feel so fortunate to have like passed costs with so many women, so many people um, who've made this brand a success. And I'm excited one to support people on my team or who've now left topicals are no longer at topicals to like continue what they want to do because that's the opportunity Shea Moisture gave me. They really pushed me to like want to believe in myself. They gave me the resources to understand business and then allowed me to launch topicals and other things that I've launched. And so I'd hope that people who work at topicals um, or have worked with us in the past feel that their experience at topicals taught them enough for them to take the leap. I love that. You have such a beautiful, beautiful. energy. Yeah. Thank you. Thank Truly. You. Yeah. I, I wish you like all the success with both topicals and what is the media company you're launching? It's called Cost of Doing Business or CODB for short. Cost of Doing Business. Um, yeah, I'm really excited for you and everything that's to come. And big thing. I don't know. I think that's a beautiful bigger place to wrap. Things. Yeah, yeah. Thank, you, thank, you, so thank you. I feel so glad and honored to have been on the pod and to be in the group chat. It has been fun. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. Of course. Thank and you come for back being anytime. here. What would you do? So I was actually on my favorite app today. I won't name it. And someone on in the room was talking about how when they were younger, you know, they're in the music industry. And when they were younger, they only dated married men or men in relationships because they didn't really have time to fully commit to a relationship. And... So they could only really have like a piece of a man. Um, 
And I just was like flabbergasted that someone would openly say that. Um, mm. So I wonder what would you do if a friend said that they that their preference was to date married or uh, in relationship men? I feel like a person that says something like that has other red flags about their personality. And I'm sure I would have been seeing a lot of other things about them that would have made me give them the chop early on. I say this, I've said this many times on the show. I met this girl who said that she dates married men exclusively and that she and her friend, like not her friends. Oh my God. She and these men's wives are uh, joint account holders of these men. They are equal shareholders. (laughs) I was like, what? So did you cut her off? No, no, no. I just I met her out one night with another oh. friend of mine and she was friends with my friend and I was looking at my friend like, "Girl, you friends with this girl? That's crazy. You got a whole man." I would I don't know, it would just make me not I would not trust her. I would not I would not. Nope. Mm-mm. Nope. Yeah. And when I was said I was flabbergasted, that was the first thing that came up like oh, are you having PTSD from your own experiences with cheating? And it's like, not even that. It's like a moral thing for me. Like, I get it if, not I get it, but I could be more understanding of it if it just happened accidentally and you fell in love with someone and I don't know, Mm -hmm. maybe. But like to say that you intentionally want to date men that have other women already because it takes up less of your time is ridiculous and selfish and self-absorbed and I'm not into it. Yeah, no, I think that's nuts. I don't believe anybody that says that either. Like, yeah. really? That's what you want? Is what you prefer? For real? Right. There's something deeper there. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to Olamide for joining us. And also, I just wanted to quickly, 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 quickly shout out if you are in Los Angeles, um, a fellow New Yorker has opened up a restaurant. So you might have seen the New York chopped cheese truck all over LA. He has a physical space and it's opening up May 6th. Um, So yeah, I'm excited. Get your chopped cheese. I'm going to be there. Um, I'm very excited. Love seeing New Yorkers do big things. It's actually, what's that place everyone goes to in the Lower East Side? The Caribbean. It's the guy from, whatchamacallit, right? Last Lap? One of the guys is the partner. Yeah, one of the guys is the partner. Yes. Um, so it's going to be great. Like a nice New York hub in LA. So I'm excited. Um, thank you as always for listening. We love you so much. Follow us on all platforms. We are Black Girls Texting on Geneva, on YouTube, on Instagram, on TikTok, on Twitter. We're different. We're Black Girls Text 1. And oh, also, you should subscribe to our newsletter because this fire comes out every month. Um, love you for listening. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Share, subscribe, comment. Thanks again for listening to Black Girls Texting. Make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Oh, and don't forget to text every group chat you're in and tell them to check us out. Follow your girls at Black Girls Texting and we'll see you next week. Bye.